Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. And so I want to talk to you today about the third given, the third gift given to us in Christmas, and that is peace. The world struggles because it doesn't understand the peace that it has, the peace that it's been given, the peace that we have been given. We think peace means being free from conflict. But peace isn't being free from conflict. If it was free from conflict, then it would be circumstantial. But the peace that we have is circumstantial. Which means when our finances turn upside down, when our family goes awry, when something doesn't go the way that we want it, we lose our job, whatever the issue is, when someone comes against us by lying about us or talking about us, our peace isn't shaken if our peace is founded correctly. And the only way our peace can be founded correctly is in Christ Jesus. Amen. And so I want to talk about that today because I, I talk to you outside of this pulpit. Talk to many of you outside of this pulpit. I try to talk to as many of you as I can. And I, I know one thing. That the enemy is good at what he does. And he's caused many of you to believe that your peace isn't as profound as it could be. I want you to set aside your anxiety today and forever. Because Jesus Christ died to give you peace. I'm pleading from a, I hesitate to say it this way because it sounds weird, but from a pastor's heart. I, I hear the heartbreak in you when you talk because your kids aren't doing right, because your life's upside down, because your finances, your health problems, your relationships are crazy, your husband left, your wife left. You could still have peace in those situations because you're, Peace isn't determined by your situation. Your peace is determined by your position. And you were positioned with Christ Jesus in heavenly places. And so our peace shouldn't be shaken. We just have to recognize why peace exists and how peace exists. Amen? So we're not talking about fleeting peace that's based on our consequence. We're talking about a peace that is secure in spite of our consequence. I want y'all just nod your head. I need you to, to listen to me with your heart today. I'm afraid so many of us go to church because it's the thing we do on Sunday. There's freedom in the Word of God. Amen. If you haven't noticed, let me explain to you how I preach. I preach from a certain specific text usually. And then I wrap my sermons in Scripture. I don't read a single Scripture and then try to tell you what that means. I let the Scripture speak for the Scripture. Because that's where your peace is found. When my life's upside down, when it seems like the world's coming against me, you know what peace I find? I find peace in the fact that God is a strong tower. That I, as a believer, have a right to run to in my time of need. This is my peace. 
that He covers me with His wings, that He watches after me, that He loves me, that He protects me, that He holds us up by, our, by His righteous right hand, that He is our God and we are His people. These things should bring us peace. Not what's going on around us, but what God has done in us should bring us peace. More than any other people on earth, the Christian should be a person of peace. When everyone around you is losing their mind, you should stand confidently and foundationally on the peace that Jesus Christ died to give you. People should be able to look at us and say, why is he not freaking out when the rest of the world is freaking out? Because I understand, as I hope you understand, that the stuff that we should be freaking out about, or the stuff that people freak out about, isn't eternal. It's temporary. So I want us to set our peace on the peace giver, Jesus. Amen? And I want to talk to you today about why we have that peace. It says that, we have, that our peace is secure in spite of our circumstances. John 14, 27, Jesus himself says this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Whose peace? His peace. And then he says this, Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Which means it's not based on your circumstance. Because that's how the world gives you peace. Peace, according to the world, is an absence of conflict. You're not promised an absence of conflict. He says, he continues on, do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. Why? Because he gives us peace that's beyond our own personal fear, or should be beyond our personal fear. Because of this true peace, we have another promise, Isaiah 54, 10. And I told the first service, I could preach the whole 45 minutes or whatever it is on this verse. I'm not going to because i got some points I want to make today. But Isaiah 54, 10 says this, for the mountains may be removed, and the hills may shake. Did you catch that? But my loving kindness, this is God speaking, my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Let me go back and tear this apart for you for a minute. It says, listen, for the mountains may be removed and the hills be shaken. Everything you think or thought you could ever count on might be dissolved to dust, but it doesn't matter. You know what? I'm going to hang my hat on the fact that I'm going to be able to retire from this job. Until that's shaken from you, and then where's your peace? Until that's removed from you, where's your peace? I'm going to trust that my husband or my wife is always going to be here for me. And they leave and or they, something happens to them and they pass away. Everything that you did count on has now been dissolved, has been crushed, has been removed to dust. But there's a promise for you that even when everything that you thought you could count on is gone, my loving kindness will not be removed from you. The loving kindness of God still holds you, still sees you, still loves you, still sacrifices for you, still pours out in your life. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter what we thought we could count on. There's only one thing we can truly count on, and that is the loving kindness of God demonstrated in mercy, rolled out in compassion, and received in grace. That's a word right there for somebody, especially in this season. People hurt in this season. I know it. 
But we don't have to because there's a God that created the universe that loves you enough to send His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is what we talked about last week. He not only loved you enough to sin, but He made it available to you. And that promise is eternal. So it doesn't matter what's shaking around you. It doesn't matter what you thought you could count on. You cannot be removed from the loving kindness of God. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken. So it doesn't, so let me just break this down for you. It's simple as, let me give you some Lebanese. Everything that you thought you could count on, if all of that was gone right now, God still loves you. And because God still loves you, you should have a peace that's unshakable. Boom, I'm done. I feel like we should go home right now. How true is that? I've lived, even since I've been saved, I've seen horrible things. I've experienced horrible things, horrible financial situations. But you know what I've learned? That if I'll absorb the truth of the Word of God, which is if I abide in Him, there's life. And where there's life in Him, there's always peace. We should be a people of peace that live so peacefully that the people that don't have peace see peace in us and want what we have. Hmm. And then he ends this text, Isaiah ends this verse by saying, says the Lord who has compassion on you. He's saying, I'm not saying this to you, God's saying this to you. God wants you to know that because of his compassion, you know what compassion is? Mercy provoked into action. God's mercy for you was provoked into action. And because that action is Christ Jesus, and Jesus Christ is our peace, it can be counted on when everything else around you falls apart. Now that, that brings me peace. Hmm. Isaiah prophesied about this peace in Isaiah chapter 9, which will be our text today. 9-6, he says this, For a child was born to us, a son was given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. First, first year we were here, Launch Point Church was here, First Christmas, this is the text that I preach from, 9-6. I, I taught the whole sermon out of the one verse to talk about the, the king with four names. And essentially, this is, what, this is what it's saying. It's saying God is a wonderful counselor, which means he is profound with great knowledge and insight. You want wisdom? The Bible says if you'll ask God for wisdom, he'll give it to you. Abundantly and without reproach. And I don't know about you, but I need the wisdom of God every single day. And I can count on God being a wonderful counselor. You know what also a wonderful, you know what a counselor is also? Available. Because what good is he if you can't get to him? Not only is he a wonderful counselor, but a mighty God, which means he's powerful over your situation. He created all things. You guys have heard me say this before. And because he created all things, all power is from his power. And there's no power that's created can be greater than the power that created it. So he's greater than all power combined. 
and he loves you enough that he's going that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. You're thinking, man, I got this problem. What you got is a powerful God bigger than your problem. If we'd start telling our problem about our God instead of our God about our problem, maybe we'd be better off. Eternal Father, personal. This is my favorite, that I have an eternal Father. Because it says Father. It doesn't say, I have some eternal guy that I can't get to. He's so transcendent, so above everything that he's, he's not personal. Because he's a father, he is personal. He is available. He is our Abba. Which means not only is he available, but he's intimate with us. He sees your comings and goings. He knows what you're dealing with and wants to help you and sent Jesus Christ to help you in those problems. Which means that we have the right as heirs, sons and daughters of the Most High God, to, and I, I said this in the first service, it messes some people up because I'm six foot, two or three, 200, none of your business pounds. But I, sometimes I just want to run up to God like a kid that just scraped his knee and jump in his lap and just let him hold me. And we can do that. We have the right because we have a father, not a transcendent being that doesn't care about us. But today, his fourth name is Prince of Peace, which means he commands Peace. Peace exists through him and because of him. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How does peace exist through him and because of him? What are the benefits of the peace that he offers? How can I know that I know that I know that I can be a person of peace instead of conflict, confusion, frustration, anguish? Well, let me explain to you how. I want to read verse 9, 1 through Verse 1 through 7 out of chapter 9 of Isaiah. It says, But there will be no more gloom for, who, for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun, he is capitalized, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt, but later on he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people will walk in darkness who will see a great light, those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation, you shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you shall break the yoke of their burden, and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, as at the battle of Midian. For every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult and cloak, Rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire. I know that's confusing language, but we're going to get to it. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of his peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. For then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Man, that's a mouthful of awesomeness. And I'm going to explain to you why I think so. Because it explains where our peace comes from 
and the benefit of our peace. I'm going to make three short points today from this text. First one being out of verse 1 through 3. And I'm going to read it again, so pay attention. But there will be no more gloom. Any of you guys ever live in gloom? Or perhaps you're living in gloom right now? For her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. Now notice, or know this, Isaiah was a prophet. Jesus hadn't been born yet. I'm not trying to break it down so basic to, as to insult you, but I, wanna, I never want to assume that people understand the, the timeline. So Isaiah was long before the birth of Jesus. And so he's prophesying here, this is a messianic prophecy. But later on, which is the birth of Jesus, he shall make it glorious by the way of the sea and on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Who came from Galilee? Jesus. And so we were in contempt and anguish, and God had contempt for us. And later on, he sent Jesus from the other side of the Jordan, from the Galilee. That's good. Let me tell you why. Because you once were separated from God, held in contempt. You were once at enmity with God. But he made a way through his son Jesus Christ coming here so that you might be in peace. So that you will not be that way any longer, but instead the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. You shall multiply the nation. You shall increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence as with the gladness of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. Notice these pronouns. Who's doing it? All of this stuff, the gladness, the joy, all of that. Who's doing it? God's doing it. The blessings that you receive, let me, foundational truth, the blessing that you receive comes from God through Christ Jesus. And so when you receive blessing, you know who you're receiving that blessing from? From God, because of Christ Jesus. So you were in a place of anguish, which is my first point. Jesus brings peace from your place of anguish. We were in a place of anguish, separated from God, unknown to, well, not unknown to Him, but unknown in relationship with Him. But He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us so that we would move from our position of anguish and gloom to a position of gloriousness. Man, that's good. Y'all should be excited about that. Can I get one amen? Because you were dying and going to hell until God determined to turn His contempt from you and send you Jesus instead so that you might have peace that even where you once had anguish, you might have peace. Where you once suffered, where you once struggled, where you once wondered if anybody cared about you, you can know absolutely right now that Jesus Christ loved you. That God loved you. And in that love sent Jesus Christ to die for you while you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner. Oh, that's good. Jesus brought us out of place of contempt. Jesus was brought out of a place of contempt and did the same thing for us. There's three verses. I'm not going to read them. John 7, 4, John 1, 46, and Matthew 2, 23 that prove that Jesus came from the land of Galilee, that he was a Nazarene, 
just so you know, Nazareth is a city inside the region of Galilee. And because Jesus was brought out of a place of contempt, we have the promise that he's done the same for us. We were once in darkness. It says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. We were once in darkness. Can I read Ephesians 5, 8 to you? For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. You're not walking in the dark anymore. You shouldn't be confused or disturbed or, or concerned that, that you're in the darkness anymore. You belong to the kingdom of God and have all rights and privileges of those that belong to the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you've dealt with before. And I'm not being flippant. I don't want you to think I'm being flippant towards, your, towards the things that you're dealing with in life because those things are hard. But ultimately, the truth that Jesus Christ died to bring us peace, to take us out of that anguish, is a greater truth than the conflict and struggle that we deal with. John 146, I'm sorry, excuse me. Even in a dark world, light shined and continues to shine on us. John 8, 12 says that Jesus is the light of the world. We were in need of light because we were in darkness. John 8, 12, then Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that life, brothers and sisters, brings peace. And you guys, when you were young, scared of the dark? I was scared of the dark. I still don't like the dark. My wife will tell you, I won't even eat dinner. If we're watching TV in the living room and the lights are dim, I make her turn every light in the house on. I don't like to eat in the dark. It's something about, I like to see my plate, you know? And so I just like to, I mean, she's a good cook. I'm not worried about there being anything gross in it. But I just, I need the light to be comfortable. Even more so, when I was a kid, I was terrified of the dark. I was, when I was a kid, I was, when I graduated high school, I was 160 pounds. Which is like this big. Well, probably this big. And I was, I was terrified of the dark. I'd go take out the trash. My papa would give me the trash, and I'd go take it out. And I'd walk towards the trash can. I was never scared of the, of the going to the trash can. Because the monsters don't come out when you're going to the trash can. The monsters come out when you're trying to get back to the house. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all know what I do. So you walk slowly, but, but, you know, at a decent pace to drop the trash off. But by the time you get to the house, you're at a dead sprint. Because whatever's in the dark is after you. Can I tell you, whatever is in the dark is after you, but Jesus Christ has saved you from the darkness, and there is nothing after you of any consequence anymore. That confusion, that fear that I had as a child, I don't have anymore. You know why? Because I recognize that there's nothing in the darkness that can overcome the light. And that light is Christ Jesus in, our, in the life of the believer. I want us to walk in peace today because we have been promised that we have been moved out of darkness, that light, the light of the world, shined on us. And because the light of the world shined on us, we have the promise of peace. And in that peace, the blessings of verse 31, that God shall multiply the nation, that God shall increase our gladness, that we will be glad in God's presence. And as with the gladness of harvest, all men rejoice when they divide the spoil. So we're going to see blessing, overflowing blessing. You know why men have gladness of harvest? 
when they divide the spoil? Because there's more than they need in that spoil. As men take the harvest and they start dividing it out and they realize, man, I'm not going to have enough to last me to the end of the year. There's no gladness in that. Gladness comes when you are overly and abundantly provided for. When you start passing it out and everybody gets their fair share and you realize there's still more fair share to give. This is the promise we have in Christ Jesus that He's going to bless us, that He's not only removed us from the light, but He's going to make us glad in the harvest. I don't know about you guys, but I could use a little gladness in my harvest. These are the promises of God. This is why I tell you constantly over and over and over, read your word. But don't give it a cursory glance. Don't just go, oh yeah, glad, harvest, that's cool. Meditate on it. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Move that from the word of God to the rhema word of God into your heart. I don't have time to explain that, but just let it come alive in you. I'm going to start preaching today. Thanks, buddy. This peace only comes through Christ Jesus. Jesus is the king of peace and commands peace when it seems as though peace isn't possible. Which is why I love the verse Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Man, that's a mouthful of awesome right there. Let me say it again. And the peace of God, this peace we've been talking about, this peace that removes you from your anguish, that places you in the light out of the darkness, surpasses all understanding. Remember I started talking at the beginning of this thing about how there's no way I can really articulate it. God offers a peace you, can't, you aren't capable of articulating either. But even though you can't articulate it, he promises to protect it through His Son, Christ Jesus. To guard your heart is a military term, which means to set a man at a post at your heart and your mind to ensure that you won't be shaken or overcome. But you know what you need to do? You need to accept the truth of the Word of God. And the Word of God is that peace is only available in Christ Jesus. Number two, Jesus brings peace from our oppression and conflict. Verse 4 and 5 says, For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, which means confusion. So he says, For every boot at the, of the booted warrior in the confusion of battle, and the cloak rolled in blood will be for burning, fuel for the fire, which is essentially to say all the war garments will be burned because they're not necessary anymore. That the, plow, that the sword will be beaten into a plowshare. But Jesus brings peace from our oppression and conflict. From the confusion of battle. He, he removes us from oppression. Jesus moved us from oppression. Jesus moved us from oppression. I'm going to say it one more time because I don't think some of y'all are paying attention. Jesus removed us from oppression. You know the greatest oppression you've ever known is the oppression of the enemy over your life. I want you to stop looking at the physical and start thinking about the spiritual. The enemy, Bible says the enemy came to do what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came for what purpose? Life and that more abundantly. Man, I need some of that in my life. The enemy doesn't have the authority 
if you're a believer. To kill you, steal from you, or destroy anything that belongs to you. It's time that we start accepting that truth and walk in that truth, carry the peace of that truth while declaring that truth to the enemy that wants to destroy us. This is the authority we've been given in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus alone. You know how I know that? Because the first verse before that, or the verse before that one, declares that truth. That's John 10, 10 is the verse I was just talking about. John 10, 9 says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Man, that's good. So what's he saying? He said, you want freedom from oppression? From the killing, the stealing, and the destroying? You want the life more abundantly? You know what you got to do? You got to accept that I'm the door. Ain't nobody else the door. Ain't nothing else the door. I'm the door. The American society has been lied to that says the hat, that your personal happiness is the door to your peace. Well, let me tell you, that's a lie straight out of the pit of hell. Your personal peace now and for all of eternity comes through one person, and that is Christ Jesus, who declared, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one enters but by me. Man, that's good. And so the oppression that the enemy would put against us or push against us doesn't stand a chance in light of this truth that the enemy might come to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus is the door by which we have life more abundantly. Not just this life, but eternal life. Man. So the oppression that you feel, this, these issues that you, that you struggle under, let me tell you, that's of the enemy. That's not of God. And if you declare the God that you serve over the enemy or over the problem that you're enduring, it's a matter of time before the problem you're enduring goes away and peace shows itself. You know what you have to do? You have to abide in the presence of God. I just hit my podium. I'm getting all, I'm about to get my tambourine out, get Pentecostal in here. Not only did he bring freedom from oppression, but Jesus brought freedom from conflict. So not only did he defeat the enemy, but he removed the conflict between, and I'm not talking about physical today, I want to talk about spiritual, because all things physical flow from our understanding of the spiritual. And so we were in conflict. Did you know you were in conflict with God? That there was enmity between you and God? Because of the sin that we committed? Know that when I use the, the, the words you and y'all, I mean us and usins. I forgot I lost my train of thought. The usins messed me up. <laughs> but there was enmity between us and God. But Jesus Christ came and reconciled us to God. I'm going to read you this verse out of Romans chapter 5. Whew. Romans chapter 5, verse, I'm going to start in 6. Even though it says 8 through 11, I think, up on the screen. It's not saying anything up on the screen, so that's a good deal. For while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I want you to listen to that. Don't let the words get by you. For while we were still helpless, which means when we were still incapable of doing anything for ourselves, at the right time, when God appointed Christ to come, Christ died for the ungodly. 
which is to say for the unworthy. So in God's perfect timing, He took us who were incapable and made us worthy. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. And then probably one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture because of the first two words. But God. There was a time when you were helpless. There was a time when you were ungodly. But God. Can everybody say, but God? Man, if there's ever peace found in two words, it's these two words. But God. Demonstrates his own love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We didn't deserve it. Jesus Christ came. Jesus Christ shed his blood. He had to. You know why? Because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And so because of that, because our sins have been remitted under the blood of Jesus Christ, we now have been freed from the wrath of God. This sermon should sound familiar. I've been preaching it for two weeks in a row. Mm. Just so you all know, I, I'm silent from time to time so that you guys can absorb what's being said. I don't want to run too fast past something that God could potentially use to change your life. Some of you all think, man, I, I, I got this. You don't got this. God's got this. That's why we find peace, because God has it, because God took care of it. Because God did everything necessary so that we don't endure the wrath of God and the penalty of our sin, which is death. Hmm. I'm still not where I plan on being yet. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. So you see, we've been saved from conflict. We've been saved from the conflict of the wrath of God. We've been saved from the conflict that we deserve due to our own sin. And not only this, but we exult, celebrate in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. And if I, if I didn't have peace for any other reason, it was because God gave me something I didn't deserve and I didn't work for. Because I didn't deserve it, because I didn't work for it, I know I can count on it. Because I never qualified myself to receive it in the first place. Let that bring us peace. That God removed us from conflict. God removed us from oppression. And it says that he did so as in the battle of Midian. You've heard me say this is the third time I've said it in this sermon. Don't run past the word. But it says there in verse 4. As at the battle of Midian. Can I tell you, I say don't run past it because I've run past this verse or this portion of the verse 30 times. But it caught me this time. You know what the Battle of Midian was? The Battle of Midian is recorded in 2 Kings chapter 19. It's the story of how Sennacherib came against Hezekiah, King Hezekiah in Jerusalem. Let me give you a little backstory before I go there and actually read from it. So King Sennacherib had been a conquering king and he'd, he'd managed to destroy and conquer everything he ever put his hand to and so now he set his face towards Jerusalem to destroy Jerusalem and to take control and charge over Jerusalem and King Hezekiah said no that's not going to happen 
And so King Hezekiah, or King Sennacherib, then writes a letter to King Hezekiah that essentially says, how dare you talk crazy to me? I'm paraphrasing. How dare you talk crazy to me? Don't you know that everybody that's ever turned or unsheathed their sword at me, or everybody that's ever spoken against me, is dead now? Sennacherib said, don't you know I own all the cities that have previously opposed me? And so Hezekiah is looking at this letter that Sennacherib wrote that said, how dare you? And this is what he does. In 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14, says, Then Hezekiah took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. You notice what he didn't do? He didn't ready his army. He didn't try to defend himself. His whole life and everything that he had, everything that he owned, everything that he knew has been threatened. And what did he do? He took the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it, and he went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. So he declared the greatness of God. And then he asked him for help. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and listen to the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. I love that language because he's saying he's not even coming against me, God. He's coming against you. Can you see what he's doing? Are you hearing what he's doing? And then he continues, he said, Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria has devastated the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, so they have destroyed them. So he's acknowledging those cities that he had destroyed were protected by false gods. But we're not protected by false gods. We're protected by the one true and only God. Now, O Lord, our God, I pray, deliver us from his hand that all the kingdom of the earth may know that you alone are Lord, our God. As in the battle of Midian, we're saved from oppression and conflict. As in the battle of Midian. You know what happened in the battle of Midian? Let me read to you what happened in the battle of Midian. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, verse 32. He will not come to this city or shoot an arrow there. And he will not come before it with a shield or throw up a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, by the same he, he will return. And he shall not come to this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. Woo! He's going to protect you from oppression and conflict as in the battle of Midian. Which means that you don't have to put your hand to the fight. It's God's fight to fight. We have peace in the fact that it's not our fight to fight, although we do have responsibility in it. You know what that responsibility is? To take the accusation of the enemy, spread it out before the Lord, declare God's goodness over it, and expect Him to move on our behalf. 
which can only be done when we walk humbly before the Lord because you can't receive anything from God unless you're willing to bow down at the altar of God, spread your problems out before God, and say, God, I need you to take care of this. You promised that you love me. You promised that it doesn't matter what comes against me, that you are my strong tower, that you are the righteous right hand that holds me above all things. All of the promises that we've declared over and over and over in this place and the promises in the Word of God. You promised those things to me. And you know what God's going to do? He's going to do as in the battle of Midian. You just hang out right there. I got this. Because you've honored me. You've humbled yourself. And you acknowledge that the victory is through me in no other way. And this should bring us peace. As in the battle of Midian, so comes our victory. From oppression and conflict. Man, I'm excited about that. Because this old warrior's broke down. I can't swing the blade like I used to. I praise God that I have peace in the fact that there's a God willing to swing the blade for me. And he yields such power that one angel was capable of destroying 185,000 soldiers as in the Battle of Midian. Mm. Number three. Jesus brings peace that is eternal. Verse 7 says, There will be no end to the increase of His governance or His peace. Which means it's going to go on forever and ever and ever. When we put our faith in Christ Jesus, we have the promise of eternal life. And because we have the promise of eternal life, we have the promise that our peace will never end according to this verse. That there will be no end to the increase of His government, which is to say the increase of His authority to create peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore not only are we promised peace in eternity but we're promised a peace we can't even comprehend could you imagine living for all of eternity and I ask the question rhetorically because you can't but it doesn't mean we shouldn't try. That there's going to be such peace that there's going to be no pain. I'm not going to wake up with his back hurting like I do. I'm not going to wake up broken over some things that maybe my kids have done. I'm not going to cry tears of suffering or struggle. There's going to be no disease, no sickness. The Bible even says that we're going to we're going to be free of even our most base conflicts for all of eternity. I can prove this to you. Let me, let me read Isaiah chapter 11 to you, verse, starting in verse 6. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. You know, these are... These are all animals contrasting. These are, these are animals that have historically been in conflict with one another. But the Bible tells us in all of eternity, even our most basic conflicts will dissolve. That there'll be such peace, the things that you expect to fight in the natural of order things of things won't even fight. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra. How many of you guys are going to let your kid hang out next to a snake hole 
You're not. But in heaven, you can. You know why? Because there's peace there. And the peace is so incredible, you can't comprehend it. And the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den. They will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be fruitful of the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. God promises peace through Jesus Christ that is eternal. A perfect peace that lasts forever. A place of justice and righteousness. And how will He accomplish it? I love the last portion of this verse. It says, The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish it. The zeal of God will accomplish it. That is to say, everything mentioned is promised and purposed from God's power and His desire. Which means you can't outrun it. Which means you can find peace in it. Man, this, this time of year, I want, I want us to be a, a church of people that just rest in the fact that God loves us. Find peace there. I want you to understand that peace is eternal because we are eternal. There's a verse in your scripture and it says, let me see if I can find it here. I thought I had it. Yeah. James 4.4 I'm sorry, James 4.14 Yet do not yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Psalm 144 says, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Hey, those don't sound like very peaceful verses. But they should bring you peace. Let me explain to you why. You know, this world, you're not going to find any place in the Scripture that guarantees you protection from suffering and struggle. There's going to be persecution. Struggle actually creates in us Christ-likeness. Persecution creates in us Christ-likeness. And so we're not promised to be protected from that. And so peace or a lack of peace would seem like a natural thing. Except for these verses. That we're just a vapor. That we're here today, gone tomorrow. And so let me tell you where my peace comes from. If I live tumultuously from the time that I'm born till the time that I die, 10,000 years from now, I won't remember that and will have been in peace, perfect, everlasting peace for 10,000 years. We can have peace in God because God is eternal. And in Christ Jesus, we are eternally with Him. This is what I want us to know today. More than any other thing, Jesus came to bring us peace. When we abide in Him, we have it. We have peace from our, per from our right now anguish, from our right now oppression, from our right now conflict. But we have peace eternally in His presence. And that's what I want for Launch Point Church. That's what I want for His church this season and every season. To be a place of peace where we comfortably abide 
in the presence of God. Amen. I want to pray that peace over you. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love you and thank you that you love us. God, as we've explored what your word has to tell us about the peace that you offer us in Christ Jesus, my prayer is that you you show us how to abide in you. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, you give us the ability to slow down and pay attention to how much you love us. Make your love so evident in the lives of your people. God, that they can't declare anything other than the peace that I have comes from an eternal Father that loves me. That Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. That He commands peace over my life, over our lives. And so God, I I pray that, that Jesus Christ command peace over the lives, over the marriages, over the finances, over the homes of the people in this place. But more than that, God, that you hold them, as we've said over and over in your righteous right hand, so that at the end of it all, we might know the eternal peace that Jesus Christ died to give us. God, I thank you for the Christmas season that you sent your son Jesus to die for us while we were sinners. Let us rest in that. Let us find hope, confidence, and peace in that. We praise you for who you are, and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen.